We're calling the meeting to order for the AHS Board of Trustees, uh, September 14th. Um, Want to do roll call? Trustee Lawrence and Trustee Hernandez will be absent today. Trustee DeVries? I'm here. Trustee Banerjee is not here yet. Trustee Jensen? Yeah. Trustee Lujanani? Present. Trustee Zorthian? Here. We have a quorum. Excellent. And uh, to start, our first item on the agenda is open session or public comment. We do have two speakers. I want to remind the speakers before you come up that uh, as per the Brown Act, we can listen to what you have to say, but we cannot make any response. Uh, uh, but uh, certainly uh, you will have, I think, is it two minutes? Three minutes, three minutes. So I have uh, Cheryl and, uh, and Arnold uh, Brillinger, and we'll take you in that order. Uh, Cheryl, are you here? Okay. Oh, are you Cheryl? Come on up. Um, I would like to know Alameda Healthcare System's description or obligation of a mandated reporter. What are the consequences of an Alameda Healthcare System's mandated reporter? Are there any exclusions as far as your staff holding medical professional positions? Are Alameda Healthcare System's medical professionals mandated reporters by law? Bills that are passed by the state of California. Is Alameda Healthcare Systems in compliance with this? The bills that are passed and put, put down by the state of California. Is it not protocol for Alameda Healthcare Systems to get in touch with designated family contacts on record for a 5150 patient release? A 5150 patient release. That is what I like to be addressed. That's what I'm here for. And um, Cheryl, I'm sorry, you were outside of the room when I announced this is uh, open forum. It's public comment. And so we can, we can listen to what you have to say or ask, but uh, really under the Brown Act, we're not allowed to respond back to you. No um, response needed. So I, I appreciate what you've had to say. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? No. No. Okay. Thank you. you. Good day. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And um, Arnold Brillinger. Mm -hmm. Sir, if it's easier, I think we have a portable mic. Yeah. I just wanted to sit here where I can see everyone. Excellent. My name is Arnold Brillinger. I am a resident at Park Bridge. You know what that is? I do. Okay, good. But I'm a resident there. And I'm also the resident council president. And I am here because a lot of the CNAs and licensed nurses have some perceptions about Highland Hospital. I say perceptions because I don't know that this is true or not, but I'm going to share them with you anyway. First of all, they think that if they are a CNA here or a licensed nurse, that the workload is a bit less. They also perceive that the stress on workers here is less. And they perceive that the pay is more. Like I said, I do not know these to be a fact, but this is the perception. And so what's happening is people are considering coming over to Alameda, uh, to uh, Highland here and getting on the staff. Now, 
The reason I'm here is because I am a resident there. I will be a resident in either that facility or another one just like it for the rest of my life. So this is not like when you just go to the hospital, you're there for a week or two weeks, and you go, ah, oh, boy, that was not the best uh, part of my life or the, you know, the, the best couple of weeks because in, in my case, it's going to be the rest of my life. And we have some very good CNAs and licensed nurses working there that have been working there for a long time. But again, as I say, they are moving over or trying to move over or contemplating moving over. I feel that in a situation like ours, we need to make sure that, the first of all, that it's even across the board. And because, you see, if, if our people move on to Highland, then we have to get registry people. Now, there are some very good registry people, and I've tried to get them to, to uh, apply, and they just laugh. They said, we make more money here. And the other thing is that when the registry people work there, many of them do double shifts. To me, that is not efficient use of the money because I'm sure that they get paid like time and a half and overtime and all that, just like the regular folks. And I don't think that that's an efficient way of using using the money that's there. I've, oh, I ran out of time. You're a little over. So, but yeah. Go ahead and wrap it up. Okay. So I just wanted to, I, I know that things are a matter of education and uh, I, I'm going to take a couple, a minute or more. I'm on the Commission for Disability Issues for the City of Alameda. And just like all the other things, it's a matter of education of the people that are involved. And uh, that's why I came, just to say, hey, these things are happening. And we know that a good worker is one that feels good about their job. And if they feel overly stressed and overly everything else and underpaid and think that there's something better over just down the street, that that doesn't make for, for a good worker. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So that ends open session so we're going to move into our board education uh, we have one item today I will point out that uh, at the end of that we will go into closed session in uh, 3702 in the conference room uh, with that uh, Jeanette and Tony I turn it over to you um, thank you trustee DeVries it's uh, it's we had uh, we have been been, been waiting for some time to um, have this conversation with the board about um, critical compensation issues, especially the the issues that have come up um, as as we've um, gained you know two new two new members of the family Alameda Hospital and San Leandro Hospital. So 
So we would like to talk to you about um, how we how we address compensation issues and and also discuss um, some critical issues that that we need to think more about. So I'll do a brief introduction and then I'll turn it over over to to Tony Redman, who's the vice president of human resources in my um, trusty number two person um, to to go through most of the most of the detail and then I'll um, talk about the effect that the acquisitions have had on our compensation structure. Um, these are um, the items that we'll cover. We'll talk about, um, give you a little bit of background on, on the changes in compensation over time, um, discuss our compensation philosophy. We'll talk about the marketplace um, that we compete with, um, Bay Area Healthcare. Um, discuss total compensation, what that means, and uh, the impact of of the acquisitions, and we'll follow up with a recommendation to align our compensation structure throughout the Alameda Health System. Um, first, just a, a little bit of history. When um, the hospital authority was formed in the in the late 1990s, um, compensation levels and and benefits were carried forward to to Alameda County Medical System, you know, as is, all the contracts moved as as, as they were, and and at, at that time, the um, the compensation structure for those elements that that originally formed um, ACMC were 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 based based on on the um, on on the merit merit structure in the in the county and the. And the salary levels were congruent with other salaries in the in the county. Were not congruent with um, with healthcare salaries. Um, over over time, as we as we needed to um, to compete for for talent, our our salaries um, moved um, moved closer and and closer to market. Until about um, six years ago, we made a decision as an executive team and a and a, and a board. To approach as, as closely as we could market rates uh, in the Bay Area, since that's um, what we need in order to um, attract and retain the, the best possible people. Um, so we established um, a compensation program for our employees based on, on market pay and adjusted our labor negotiation strategy. Um, you know, providing comprehensive. You know, market studies to our to our labor unions and 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 over time um, increasing salary rates. At this point, our current compensation levels um, more closely approach our healthcare competitors. We do not approach Kaiser. Kaiser leads the market, and um, and we lag the market. Um, uh, sure. You know, when you say that we. Lag the market. You're just talking about Highland Hospital, correct? Right. Talking about the the, the organization prior to to 2013. Um, a compensation philosophy is simply a formal statement that documents the company's position about employee compensation, and it explains you know the why and our and our values behind employee pay and creates a framework for consistency. Achieving um, our mission de depends on our ability 
to provide um, exceptional quality and accessible care for our community. And our total compensation program is designed to support our efforts to become an employee, an employer of choice within the, the um, Bay Area healthcare community. When when I first started um, started working here, most of the the people that we employed knew other people that 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 worked here, and um, and and over over time, you know, as as the the organization grew and as the the quality of our care became became um, greater, we were able to recruit people away from um, from organizations like Kaiser and Stanford and, and and Sutter, you know, based based on a perception that this is a this is a better place to work, you know, a, a friendlier workplace with good benefits. So, and we want to continue that. Um, our compensation program um, reinforces a productive work climate and a culture of accountability. And while um, fostering career progression at AHS where we can, um, our benefits program, which we'll also talk to you about um, for a short period, um, demonstrates our commitment to the long-term physical, emotional, and financial health of, of our employees. And at this point, I will turn it over to Tony. So this is just a little bit about philosophy. And this may seem incongruent with a predominantly unionized employee base. So as you know, about 92% of our employees are represented. But we still believe in a merit-based approach where that's possible. And so for the unrepresented employees, uh, the 8% who aren't currently unionized, they go through a merit focal on an annualized basis, uh, and we believe that that's very important. What we want to do is grow that, and we use that wherever possible in our labor negotiations. So for instance, in our ACMEA contract, we have a number of people, um, around about 50, slightly more than that, uh, that are on open ranges and are subject to merit-based focals. So they get an annual performance review, and their increase is based upon their performance in the year. In the UAPD contract now, the physician contract, there are some productivity measures in there that are based on quality, uh, based on uh, productivity or the number of encounters they see in a particular day, and based on outcomes. So did they do what we intended to do to ensure what we know would lead to better patient outcomes? And so they, the, where possible, we have negotiated those into the contracts. So as much as possible, we want a merit-based environment. Not always possible but that's what we want to achieve, and our, com our compensation philosophy is set not only for those people who are unrepped, but also those that are repped, to create that environment across the board. Jimmy, yes. Can I ask you, the 8% right now, we are still talking about the core, or now are we, have we moved on to the um, That's in, t in total. It's just, it's about 82, uh, it's about 92.5% are represented, roughly, it may go up and down based on a given week or month, depending upon whether we've hired some more people. Thank you. But that's 8% of the of, of the total. We also have unrepresented employees yes. at yeah. Alameda and yeah. mm -hmm. If I could, uh, Joe was going to ahead. Ask Trustee Jensen. So, it's on. Just leave it on. Well, I can't So, my question is, I just want to clarify that the 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 typical union approach of increasing compensation with across the board cost of living increases, that's one thing, cost of living increases, but we do um, have merit-based increases as well as step increases according to 
um, evaluations, and we do regularly evaluate uh, uh, those so employees. Is that a couple of separate things there? So all employees are evaluated on an annual basis. For those um, that are not on a focal, uh, they're done on date of hire. So anniversary of hire, everyone receives uh, a, a performance evaluation. For those on a focal, it's around 8% of the population, they get them all at the same time every year, and that increases based upon that, that performance evaluation. Um, for ACMIA, um, there's a split in that union where some people are on step and grade, so on across the board, plus step increases until they reach the top step. And there are some members of that union that are on open ranges and only receive a merit-based increase. So the step and grade, step and grade increases are automatic without, regardless of, of the evaluation for, for those ACMIA employees? Yes. That's a contract provision. Right. Yeah. Correct. Is there, is it just ACMIA at the level where you have both merit-based and step, you know, uh, cost of living adjustments? I mean, is, there, is there a cutoff line or, 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 or other represented units um, merit-based? So, for example, we have a, a large percentage of SEIU represented employees and we have, C, you know, we have you know, CNA. I mean, where's, where's the dividing line if there is one? Is, is there a clear line as to who has merit and who does not? The, the, only, the only group that, that receives increases based on, based on merit is, is, this, is this group of, of managers in ACMIA. Okay. And they're the managers in ACMIA that, super, that supervise other members in ACMIA. So, so, for instance, in a if um, if there there are several supervisors in in ACMIA and and they report to a manager that's also represented by ACMIA, that manager would would be would be receive merit pay. Okay. So of the ninety two, so of the ninety two percent that are uh, <coughs> represented by labor, what percentage of of that group? has the ability to earn some form of merit increase. What's the percentage? Huh? See Jeanette doing the math. It's pretty I mean, small. It's, pretty, it's a small number. Okay. Less total uh, 76 out of the total employee population of oh, about 4,500. So, so really 90% of our employees yeah. Are, yeah. are represented and don't don't have right. an option for I merit. would say it, it's approximately um, 2%. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So 90%. Okay. Yeah. Just... Sorry, uh, additional point of clarification. So uh, there's there's cost of living and there's uh, step base and there's merit. Do we have any employees who um, get all three of those? No, we no. do not. So they're they're either getting uh, cost of living and step, or they're getting uh, merit and and cost of, cost of living. No. Okay. Just, so they're getting cost of living and step or merit. The ones that get merit don't get cost of living and stuff. Right, right, right. The cost of the cost of of living increase is fact is factored into the amount that's available to the organization for merit pay. Gotcha. Okay. So those employees could go, depending on their evaluation, could go for several years or never get an increase. They they could, and and if they're and if they're high performers, they could also get substantial increases. Right. But they would get an increase when the position, um, the position 
salary was changed in the new contract if that if that position was adjusted would that would that be automatic probably not they would be on the, no. the baseline no. right yeah, yeah. They're, they're on okay um, well thanks yeah, th those positions are on an open range and so it's unlikely anyone range, right. would be towards the bottom of it right. you know it, it is actually feasible but unlikely uh, it would be unlikely to go that period of time without it being addressed or their performance improving based on based on coaching from their manager thank you so I, I'm now going to get, um, obviously this is an education session. Stop me if it gets too boring or granular. Uh, the intent is it obviously for it to be interactive. And this is um, based on giving you some more of the details and getting an understanding how we set pay. Uh, clearly not knowing how much experience each and every one of you has in this area. I've gone into some detail. If it, if it gets too granular, let me know. And if you want to res it up again, just let me know and we, we can adjust accordingly. So... Um, the compensation philosophy for us is to be at market in terms of total compensation, which is pay and benefits and retirement in total. We try and hit the 50th percentile of market. This, for me, I've been in healthcare now for around about 15 years in the Bay Area in different organizations. This has been the compensation philosophy of everywhere I've worked. The elements that make up uh, that total compensation differ. Right, so pension we know is heavier, and we'll talk about that a little later, uh, and pay may be a little lower. For others, it's more uh, cash compensation, <coughs> but they've only got the equivalent of a 403B with maybe a 5% match. But everyone's really going for this, this following the market, other than right now Kaiser, who want to lead it. It's a driver for them. It's a market differentiator. We're not in that position, so we're going to try and be at market in this environment. Uh, things that uh, influence compensation program, we must align with objectives. So there, may, there could come a time where we said we're implementing an EHR, and it's important that our pay is a little bit above the 50th for IT because in the absence of that we don't think we can both recruit and retain people to the I in the IT area specifically with either Cerner or Epic experience or whatever EHR we decide we're going to implement. So we could actually make a decision falling within our overall compensation philosophy that we may need to lead a little bit more in that area because that meets our objective. Um, affordability. Uh, as we know, we're, we, we feel like we're on a much better financial footing now, uh, but that's all, we're always going to have to look at affordability on any, any given year, and then overall, what are the impacts of that and our ability to re recruit and retain? Because from time to time, we may not do an increase because we, we think we can't afford it. We see an increase in turnover. We see other issues that drive up costs, increase in travelers, registry usage. So we have to make decisions based on our ability to afford Market rates for hard-to-fill position, again, we're in the Bay Area. Um, I had a discussion with someone earlier today about turnover, in, you know, very specifically in healthcare. And the reality is in, in the Bay Area, if you go from the East Bay onto the peninsula, there's a hospital every six miles. And so it's not just a matter of whether you're a good employer or not. The opportunities to be in healthcare in the Bay Area exceed almost anywhere else in the country. So we have a high-density population. We have an affluent population in real terms based on the rest of the U.S. You have a hospital every, almost every six miles when you get onto the peninsula. And we have a number of healthcare facilities in the East Bay. So our employees have a choice. And, and regardless of our mission-driven purpose, people have mortgages to pay and children to support, families to support. And so they may be mission-driven, but there are other factors that influence whether people will stay with us. Um, locally compliant with administrative consideration, you know, increase in minimum wage, uh, a provision of benefits uh, to people who work over a number of certain hours as defined by the Affordable Care Act. So we obviously always want to be compliant with these things. Um, 
when we, we're developing the target of where we might actually pay someone, um, we're looking at a range. New people into a role, we would pay typically lower in the range. Uh, and then people reach uh, what's typically termed in compensation journeyman status. So five to seven years in a role where you know they're good at this job or they should be, they have the experience, those people start to creep towards the midpoint of the range. And then people who over a long period of time have performed well and above expectations, you expect to see them high on the range. This is really just an illustration of what a range looks like. And so you find the midpoint by looking at the market. We use Hay and other compensation surveys who themselves go out and gather a lot of data through HASC and other organizations, which is based on um, real data. So th this, uh, I would tell you both internal and externally, becomes a, a pain point for managers who say someone came to them and is paid. They told me they make uh, $50,000 more than you say we can pay them. Well, that's interesting. The survey data that we get is based on all payrolls who participate in the survey. That includes you know, 30, 40 healthcare organizations who provide real data. It goes into a blended database. Then we analyze it. We look for jobs that are similar to everyone else's jobs, and that's how ranges get set. There's potentially a you know, six or nine month lag in that data, but even if you account for that, there's a difference between compensation data that is real information on payrolls versus what people desire to be paid or what they think they're actually worth. And that really becomes, you know, the, the pain point when you're trying to hire someone. <laughs> Do we submit that data? Uh, we submit, we participate yes. in the surveys, um, and it is real data uh, that everyone puts in there, and it is all blinded. We're not allowed to know other organizations. There's some antitrust risk, and so it is, very, it is adhered to very carefully in terms of the data being blinded. We know who participates, but we can't know what an individual organization pays other than if they have labor contracts that are public information that we can look at. And that just tells us the rates that they would pay for the various steps. Um, so you can ask Tracy. To that, um, question, mm -hmm. that point, do we routinely look at other postings of positions at, at the levels and the, the, the seniority requirements or the experience required? We do. And we do. We do know where we fall. Yeah. For local, our local yeah. organization. So, in, t in terms of experience, we do look at that on a regular basis. I mean, I look at it personally on a regular basis, and you know, I brought some issues that I thought we identified in job descriptions where we needed to look at what we were requiring uh, to ensure that we remain competitive in the marketplace. It's certainly something we consider all the time. And again, if we look at those other healthcare providers, it's important that we we don't have a standard that's lower. Uh, but it also it's important that our standard is not far and away above what anyone else is demanding for the same job. You know, we have to compete in this marketplace. We need to meet the regulations. We need to ensure we provide great patient care, but also we have to recruit and retain people. Um, so we do look, we look at uh, specifically in, the, in this geography, which depending upon the survey adds anywhere between 19 and 22% on top of base pay because of the, the not because of the cost of living, but because pay goes up. And while the cost of living here could be anything up to 50 or 60% more because of housing, that doesn't translate to a 50 or 60% increase in pay. It just doesn't, unfortunately, doesn't work out that way. Um, you know, and pay is a little higher, but the cost of living is much higher. And, and that's a reality for, for all people who live in the Bay Area. Um, we look at each category of employee, represented, non-represented, and FSLA status, so exempt, non-exempt. We look at all those features when we're developing the range and the job. 
we look predominantly at the duties of the job and then we go and find it into the marketplace and see what compares to that and what the rates are to make sure we're, we're being competitive. Can you, can you, when, you, when you do that sort of assessment, can you see uh, or do you have awareness of benefits and how they compare? Um, not really? We, we, do, we have had uh, previous surveys that give us an indication of benefits and typically our benefits are incredibly competitive. So the answer is yes. Um, they're, they're incredibly competitive, but less competitive at the, um, at the, at the yeah. director level and above, yeah. in particular um, the executive level. Yeah. And that, that's true of pay as well. And so that's reflective of, um, if you look at our frontline staff, there are, there's variability when you look at total compensation because um, those employees that, that typically work at a lower base rate of pay um, the retirement benefit is extremely rich. As you go further up, and for employees hired later, obviously the retirement benefit is not as rich a program, and we don't have a particularly rich um, executive benefits program at all, and you see a drop-off compared to the market with the executives versus other employees. So we, I think we've talked about that in a previous board meeting, or certainly in another iteration, I'm sure we will again as well. Um, we compete in the the San Francisco Bay Area, as I've already mentioned, we're looking at total cost of uh, both pay and benefits. We review our compensation annually. We look at surveys uh, across multiple positions every year and we do comparisons to the market. Um, if we get something that comes up mid-year and we think that we're out of whack and something's changed, we'll go and look at the market again. And that happens from time to time where something has changed in the marketplace, most often around IT, not, not always but the IT marketplace tends to move a little faster and something may have shifted and then we, we, we'd make an adjustment accordingly. Um, we would take into, um, always take into account um, the community receiving our service as well as the, the employees. So again, a, a little more on strategy, uh, market-driven base pay, periodic increases for employees, merit-based where possible as we mentioned earlier very generously funded pension and retirement plans, and I'll mention more about that in a moment, um, and highly competitive, highly competitive health and welfare. Um, again, this is the, the principle, these are the principles we follow regardless of whether they're represented or not. Again, as, as mentioned earlier by Trustee Jensen, um, most of our employees are on step and grade. That doesn't mean we don't try, and I'm aware of in uh, most recent negotiations with ACME or, or previous recent ACME, we tried to negotiate open ranges on all the positions where there were managers. They don't apply to all, but we continue to try and apply that where we can and where they're willing and open to accepting it. Obviously, they have some members who are, who are on focal and merit best paid now, and so we'll continue to talk to them about that, and if they're open to it, then we would implement it. Um, in future, uh, variable pay. So we don't have any variable pay pro programs at AHS right now, and this, we'll talk more about this at a future meeting, but this is around bonus programs, uh, regardless of level in the organization, something that, that is absent from our compensation uh, philosophy right now or from our compensation strategy. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the marketplace. So, and the reason for that is a couple of times in board meetings, um, We've heard questions about who, is, who are our competitors? Are we competing with San Francisco General and Contra Costa and Santa Clara County, San Mateo County? And the truth is that they're part of 
our competition, but they're a very small part of it. So if you think about San Francisco General, they have about 3,500 employees now, plus they get about 1,500 from UCSF, including physicians. So they have this mixed relationship with UCSF. Kaiser has about 177,000 employees, about 140,000 in California, about 65,000 in Northern California. Dignity has 55,000 employees, and Stanford now, uh, when you combine their entities, has 27,000 employees. Um, Washington's slightly uh, is uh, closer to in size to San Francisco General as a standalone hospital. So, while our mission may align most closely with Contra Costa, San Francisco General, and Santa Clara, they're not big players in this marketplace. We, when we recruit people, we're in the market for highly qualified nurses, physicians. Um, uh, CLSs, so lab technicians, um, clinical lab scientists, rad techs, uh, therapists, and the majority of the jobs lie with these larger employers. They don't, they don't lie with other county systems. Um, in another organization I worked, we did a study um, looking into the East Bay, and what we identified is the employee population moved east. Right, so 30 years ago, uh, Silicon Valley was predominantly orchard, 30, 40 years ago now, were predominantly orchards, and then Hewlett-Packard appeared. And with HP came the growth of Silicon Valley. And healthcare uh, hospitals grew up to service that population, a very affluent population. As nurses retire from those facilities who currently live on the, on the peninsula, they're replaced by people who live in the East Bay. Mm -hmm. Because they can no longer afford to live on the peninsula. Mm -hmm. So the reality is the, the employee population of the hospitals on the peninsula are moving south and east and our employees move east, where once people start families, they tend to want a larger home, good schools. And some people like an urban environment, and that's great, but many people want more space, a larger home, and good schools. And for that, they often move east. So the employee population in healthcare on the peninsula and even in our area are moving further and further east, and they have many, many opportunities. So we're in competition with everybody in the Bay Area to recruit our staff. So regardless of position, regardless of mission, they drive past a lot of hospitals before they get to us. And we need to remember that as we look at our total compensation. The mission will get us to a point, right? People work here because they want to work here. But again, going back to that core need, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of need, you know, food, I need to eat, I need to put a roof over my head, I need to care for my family. Those things become important to people, particularly in times of high stress. And so as we looked at our philosophy, we look at our benefits, we want always to address the needs of our employees, but also address the needs of our patient. And so it's a balancing act based on where we are on any given financial year. We want to set the strategy that will allow us to both recruit and retain the best employees who can stay here for the long term, because that is incredibly important for us. Um, I, I saw this slide, and I'm looking at a completely different slide on my uh, laptop, which says include other recent settlements. Um, and so, in, in my slide, I have other recent settlements. So this is, again, to talk more about the marketplace. Excuse me one second. There we go. And so, Stanford, uh, Stanford and Packard recently settled their nursing contract 4% a year for three years. Uh, Kaiser settled for 14% over three years. Uh, that's slightly different in terms of how they settled that. So one four over a three-year period. And Marin General settled for 3% a year over three years. OK, 
Okay. Uh, Marine General were out for almost 18 months in negotiations. Not out on strike, but they were negotiating for almost 18 months in total to get to that, get to that agreement. And so they went through some uh, discomfort to get there. Uh, as you see, Kaiser, whose rates are already higher than ours, uh, we're looking at a 14% increase over a three-year period. So again, this is not to um, say how difficult it is for us, but it's to create a, a realization of this is the marketplace in which, which we operate. It's the marketplace in which our employees live, <coughs> bless you, um, and, and the one that we need to recruit and retain our employees in. So um, I'll say a little about our retirement plans because our retirement plans are a really large part of our total compensation package. Uh, so we have retirement savings plans. Uh, ACERA is the one that we talk about most often, but is not the only one. Uh, and the next slide, I'll talk in a little bit more detail about costs of that and, and what we contribute to those retirement plans. Um, but ACERA is really provided to almost all represented employees in the core of the system, and even and unrepresented unrepresented employees high before a dead in 2013 when we we initiated our own plan. Our own plan is a fairly um, rich plan in and of itself. Again, that we do. Uh, there's a potential 10% match from the employer plus what the 5% that the employee contributes. Having come from another healthcare organisation, the match was about 5% for a 403B plan. So I know that this is a good plan. Our plan is one that obviously we'd like to see grow over time. ASERA is the plan that ma the majority of our employees receive. Um, this is just a breakdown of the various retirement plans we have. Again, we are, um, I say this from time to time, we're an incredibly complex environment considering we're about 4,500 employees. You know, there are a few organizations that I have seen or worked in that have almost three separate employers and 19 uh, labor contracts or, um, or separate bargaining units rather and this number of pension plans. Um, Sarah, you see um, the employer contribution is 23%. Steel workers, which both CNA bargaining units at Almeida and San Leandro receive, is an in entirely employer-funded plan with a 10% contribution from us. Uh, SEIU, uh, San Leandro and Almeida receive a 7.25% contribution from us. Station engineers, it's a, it's a fairly rich contribution at 155 And then the AHS plans, as you saw, are minimum of 5% from the employee with a possible another 5% if the employee contributes. And so this is a large portion along with our health benefits that make up total compensation and this will to a large extent likely always be here. So we always have to take this into account when we're looking at total comp and not become entirely cash driven. We have to compete in the best pay market but we know that we have this cost that's always going to be there. Can I ask a question on yeah. that? Um, before we go to health and welfare, yes. uh, do we have a sense of how our our employees feel about this retirement package? And uh, I mean, if it's attractive or if it's viewed and perceived as, as an attractive reason to, to, to work here versus another place that provides a larger cash contribution with less security at the back end? Uh, yes, we do, and we'll share that information with you in a few minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> And I would just broadly, uh, Trustee DeVries, I think it varies by individual. We have slides that talk a little bit about it, but it varies by individual. The, the younger an employee is, the less focused they are on retirement. People, people want pay. Um, uh, they don't know that they're going to stay at a company for 30 years or 20 years, um, and so they're more focused on base pay. Uh, the further into their career someone is, the more focused they become on retirement. 
know, which is which is a natural evolution for anyone. As they have more responsibilities, they start to focus on, okay, at what point do I retire? How do I get there? And, and people realize what an attractive proposition this is. Um, but I think very early in the career, people are very much focused on base pay. So it really varies by individual and where they are in their career. I was, I was going to say something. Actually, I heard two independent... Uh uh, sort of uh, commentaries recently around this. I think that's still, as far as I know, still largely true. Uh, the, the, a, a true truism. Yeah. Um, uh, but I heard st- stories recently that uh, said that studies were showing that uh, younger uh, generations uh, entering the workforce now are doing a lot more savings than uh, the, uh, their parents and taking greater advantage of retirement opportunities. So it's, it's a sort of a promising sign for people, you know, uh, saving and uh, um, preparing for the future. I don't think it's overwhelming yet. I think what you just said is still the truth, and maybe that bears out in terms of our ability to uh, recruit and uh, uh, attract uh, various um, uh, uh age ranges uh, or experience levels for the various roles uh, in the organization. But but I thought that was an interesting sort of uh, suggestion of a trend that might be coming. I, I think um, there's there's been a shift to understand that Social Security at some point will break. You know, the, the, and people are, uh, don't expect it to be there now. And if you read some research, that's some of the issue why people are saving more. Mm. They just don't expect it to survive until they retire. And so they, they feel they've got to take care of themselves and so you've got a sam you've got uh, baby boomers who expected to be there for the entire of their retirement you've got a younger demographic who doesn't believe it will be there so they need to take care of themselves and then you have that sandwich in the middle who really need it to be there because they haven't saved enough but really can see that it's going to run out and so you've got a real mixture in the workforce now um, of people at various stages um, I you know, all the, all the reports I've read, that, that may be encouraging, but Americans don't save. Yeah. Uh, we really are bad at it. And, and Social Security, even if it is there, um, it's not you'll still live in poverty, yeah. uh, practically. And so I think that the more, I mean, I, I personally believe in pensions. I mean, my yeah. father, uh, who, you know, God bless his right-wing nature, um, <laughs> you, know, you know, blasts public employee pensions, even though he has a pension from DuPont that mm-hmm. will, you know, He's been retired for 30 years, and he still receives. And you know, most Americans used to get a pension, and most now don't. Yeah. Um, and I think that the more we can promote the fact that a pension really does um, provide you security in your old age, um, I, I just think that mm-hmm. as a principle, since we are a public s- system, we are a safety net. Um, you know, we, we can market it to our employees that, you know, also we have a, a, a pension that's a safety net that really will be there. And that, and, and so I just, yeah, because I mean, all studies show that most Americans don't save enough. Uh, mm-hmm. And if it's saved for you uh, collectively, uh, we, we do better as a society. And I think that's true uh, around the world. So, yeah. How long do you have to work here before you vest? You going to get to that? Five years. Okay. Yeah. For, for a Sarah, it's five. Five years for, for a Sarah. If um, in our, um, our our own pension plan, if you are in the enhanced defined contribution plan, the vesting period is three years. Jim. Oh, Jim, did you have something to say? Yeah, I did. Um, I just wanted to... Well, I just wanted to like, second your uh, comments, Joe, and as some of you may know... Um, so I deal a lot with individuals and their money, and I got to say, um, having a pension is one of the most essential things that people have um, 
as they get on later in life. There are just so many people who, um, even you know, highly compensated, very intelligent, well-read people, they do not prepare for after they stop working. Mm-hmm. And so I think it is you know, really important for us and incumbent upon us to provide pensions for employees. That's all I wanted to say. From our finance chair. That's okay. great. <laughs> Pardon me? Yes, from the finance. Yes. No, no, it's really important. It's really important. And, unfor- you know, and it's also very expensive for organizations to provide them, which is why uh, so few um, private companies and fewer and fewer uh, uh, you know, public entities uh, provide pensions, but um, but it's really essential, and I, I think that to the extent that uh, people don't value them, it's incumbent upon us to really help people understand why it's so important and why it's such a valuable um, uh, benefit, um, often overlooked because for many people it's a benefit that they're going to enjoy 30 years or 40 years from now, but nevertheless, when they get to that point, they are incredibly grateful that they have it. Um, so move on. Obviously, the third pillar is obviously we have base pay, uh, we have re- um, retirement, and then we have health and welfare benefits. Uh, so we believe, and I, I, everywhere I've worked in all the, the health programs I've looked at, we, we provide exceptional health care coverage with very low cost to our employees. We have the self-insured plan, which is of we can, people can do at no cost if they come into our health system and are able to access those services of long-term disability, uh, above market uh, time off. So we have a lot of time off, uh, some in the bargaining units, but even in the unrepresented employees, there's a lot of PTO that people receive as part of AHS. The EAP program, uh, which I wouldn't undersell, um, you know, we, we live and work in, or work in an environment where uh, adverse outcomes happen all the time uh, to patients and through nobody's fault, just by circumstances, and we have employees who deal with that every day. And our EAP program uh, that people can call and get counseling on has proved very successful in terms of the ability to help employees. And we have had them come into the organization and meet with groups of employees when there, when there has been a death or possibly even the death of an employee. Uh, and so they've really, that has been a good program that employees have access. Uh, we have financial benefits, including discounts for car and home and pet insurance. You know, those are voluntary uh, participation for employees, but they're also, they can be quite popular. And then we have a, educational allowances for professional development. Pet insurance. Pet insurance. Yes. Wow. Are we Pet Google? insurance. I, I will be accessing that at some point this year. Okay. Uh, I it's have a Bay Area thing. I had it I in San Francisco. I love it. If, if, if you want to, if you want to pay for a dog that is sick uh, out of your own pocket, then have at it. But if you want pet insurance, you'll find it's a lot cheaper. Usually they still require, vets, vets are not like medical doctors. They, they want their cash up front. They say you can do your claims with your That's insurance right. company yourself. Uh-huh. But, but it helps because it, yeah. I, I had to have a surgery. And, yeah. Sorry. All right. TMI. Uh, so this, this is a little hard to read, so I apologize. I thought it would uh, be clearer on this screen. Um, this is uh, to Joe's earlier question, or Trustee DeVries' earlier question, about how people feel about our benefits. Um, and what our total compensation is. So the, t- the top line um, is a composite score. And so what you see from that composite score without, I, I, without having to strain your eyes is uh, people believe uh, fair compensation 
um, is provided to them, which is a mixture of base pay and the benefits, and we're above, uh, we're above the national average uh, when you look at the core. So that excludes San Leandro and Alameda Hospital, and it becomes important that we exclude those when we look at the next slides. So, so I'm sorry, what is the red, yellow versus green? So uh, the green is favorable, uh, the yellow is neutral, the red is unfavorable oh, in, in response to the question. And this, uh, the, as I said, the top line is uh, you see that we had uh, over 2,000 responses in the survey, so it's a, it's a good data set that we have, that when people look at our both pay and <coughs> benefits together, we score favorably to the national average. Um, when you go to the next line, uh, which is about benefits, Again, we score favorably to the national average. Um, and when you go to the, the bottom line, we, uh, which is pay, my pay, pay is fair for the same role in the area, we score slightly below the national average. So what we see is the benefits of pulling up people's perception of overall compensation in the core. And so we know that health and welfare and the retirement are, are thought of very favorably. And while people may be, we may be slightly below the national average in terms of people's view of their pay, the benefits pull us up to a composite score that's above the national average. So I saw this earlier. I'm sorry to yeah, jump in. That's okay. Could we ask, and would it make sense to ask, uh, to pull retirement out as a separate question than, than overall benefits? Because I know when I was young and I heard the benefits, you know, what I, I, at the time I, uh, my wife was pregnant, so all I thought about was health insurance. I got to get yeah. my, you know, prenatal care. I didn't even think about retirement. Mm -hmm. um, so just for that younger crowd that's thinking mm -hmm. benefits means health insurance means time off, uh, maybe if we had a, a call out on pension or retirement benefit to show how, how, I mean, because I think if we had the organization and the employees thinking about it, they may chime in the same way we're, we're, we are now, and then that would reflect when you're marketing, when you're trying to attract employees mm -hmm. to show, I mean, who knows if it would be hit like, you know, 80% are ex excited by the retirement package. And, oh, what's that? And then it's an opportunity to educate those new employees and potentially attract them. Mm -hmm. We could we could look at, look into that for the next time we do a survey. We use a, a national survey so that we're able to compare ourselves against other other employers. But but there is an, an ability to add to add um, organization-specific questions, so we might be able to do that to try to tease out a response about our retirement plans. Yeah, I think as much granular data as we can get is really helpful even yeah. to do the kind of promotion. That, that is a good point, Joe. I've found that um, most people start focusing on retirement sometime and sometimes starting around age 50. So, you know, 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, not interested for the most part. Well, I guess I'm ahead of the game. Yeah, we all feel You should be very, proud of very, yourself. Very, very few are. Um, and, and usually the ones who are don't really need to worry about it anyway. Mm -hmm. but, uh, Interesting. So, my so, Thanks. Thanks. So you see why it's relevant that we talked about the core versus Alameda Hospital. So without even looking at the, you know, looking at the numbers, you see the shift. Uh, how Alameda Hospital's employees uh, view their pay and whether or not it's fair. To our earlier speaker's point. Absolutely. Uh, I thought it was uh, mm -hmm. fortunate that he brought that up tonight because we knew we were going to look at this slide and it, it is very yeah. relevant to how people feel. Um, you see that they're from a, uh, looking at the national average with 0.92 points lower, so it's really statistically significant. Uh, their benefits um, 
while similar to the core, I think are heavily influenced by their view of pay. Right? So you get one of those, um, I, I can't say this scientifically, but you get a halo effect. I feel I'm badly compensated. That reflects everything I receive. Even though the benefits may be great relatively, I feel like I'm badly paid, and so mm -hmm. everything comes down. Even with that halo effect, the benefits score reasonably well, uh, not as well as, we, uh, as they do in the core. Um, but obviously there's a real impact to how people perceive their pay and that has a significant impact to their engagement and their uh, ability to then perform their work in an effective fashion in the organization. Uh, when we look at San Leandro, uh, the impact is not as large. Um, you know, and we know from, from our pay uh, at San Leandro and Almeida, which are different, we know that the, the, the gap is larger at Almeida Hospital. We'll, we'll get to that a little later, so I don't want to leap forward in the presentation. But this is fairly reflective of what we would expect based on where the pay rates are, Core, Almeida, and San Leandro. Again, uh, you see the benefit score reasonably well, although just below the national average, uh, and that pulls the composite score down. So, oh, sorry, pulls it up because their view of pay, is, it, again, is not as favorable as we would like, but it's fairly reflective of where we would expect it to, do, to be based upon the pay rates at San Leandro Hospital. I'm going to hand it back to Jeanette now. Now to get on to um, the, uh, I didn't mean to move forward, um, the, the acquisitions. The, um, the acquisition of San Leandro and Alameda hospitals during the 2013-2014 fiscal year um, increased our workforce by nearly 50% in a very short period of time. Um, San Leandro had been a part of Sutter Health. Um, labor represented employee salaries were generally very, very close to market. Some of them at the time were actually higher than, than in the core. And non-represented employee salaries varied um, because Sutter was planning, was planning to close the hospital so they really didn't have a compensation plan. So we would see people doing the same work, you know, one might be paid, you know, 30000 more than, than um than the other person that's sitting right next to them doing doing their work. Um, Alameda Hospital um, was, was in financial distress and had not increased salaries in seven years in in any unit ex, except um, except a fairly small um, SEIU UHW unit um, and and. Unrepresented employees had volunteered to take 5% salary cuts in, in order to keep the hospital um, open. Um, early, early on, we restored those 5% salary cuts. Um, but um, but we, ha we have not had an opportunity you know, to address you know, much of the, of the salary disparity you know, with, the, with the core. And there are significant gaps in both of the hospitals from the salaries in the in in the core. Um, the there's there's a the difference isn't isn't quite as much when you when you look at look at FTEs you know the the increase but 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 when we when you look at the the need to manage manage a workforce you know the total the total number is um, is often more relevant. Um, and, and I, we'd like to share some data points with you that um, give you a sense for the for the pay disparities. We had we had um, hey um, our compensation consultants do do an analysis of our entire organization, 
and, and on an overall basis among um, like titled roles um, system-wide, the total cost um, to achieve pay parity to represented roles is approximately $5.7 million a year with 60% um, of that gap um, at, at Alameda Hospital. Gap at Alameda Hospital, or what percent of that total 60% would be in the nursing staff, would you say, off the top? It, 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 would, it, would, it would be, be hard, hard to, um, to, to say exactly. exactly what, it's, um, Is it primarily nursing staff? Well, the, well the, the size of the nursing staff is larger, so, so I would say most of, most of that is, um, is, is in, in nursing. The, um, the clinical lab scientists are, are also um, dramatically underpaid. We were able to take, take action to increase their, their salary somewhat a couple of months ago. And, and there, there, are, there are several other groups. It's not, it's not just nursing. At, um, at Alameda Hospital. Um, currently, there are 273 employees that are paid below the average salary of their counterparts, and that's a total um, pay parity gap of approximately $4.9 million. And, um, and there's also um, disparity in unrepresented roles in that, um, and that comes to about $248,000. San Leandro um, Hospital has about 134 employees that are earning less than the average of represented employees, and that um, total gap is about 1.31 million. They have slightly more unrepresented employees that are um, that are underpaid, you know, as compared to the core, at um, $282,000. Can I ask? Um, I know it's our strategy to, to have parity. Or to be on track to, to parity, mm -hmm. and so um, to our our public speaker's point, you, again, you came on the right day uh, for what we're discussing. Mm -hmm. it, uh, with that strategy, is there a prioritization, um, if there is, that you can share about like how do I say this? Uh, who, wh where we achieve parity faster with which groups um, that will most affect patient care or or, or, I don't know. Where is the difference? Greatest. Like the greatest, like which is or, the or, most dire? And, and, yeah, and, and also which is most fair. Like, you know, it's one thing if, I mean, if somebody makes, somebody makes $150,000 and parity would get them to 160000 and somebody else is making 40000 and parity would get them, you know, forty five. like, my, the, the, the progressive in me wants to see the parity reached at the, at the lower end of the pay scale first, um, but that which, which may be more costly and may not have the same impact on patient care. So I'm curious what the strategy is there. And was, that, was that too political of a statement? No, I think that's great. That's <laughs> okay. the kind of no. And, and we will be discussing that, that? in in um, in the slides that follow. Okay. Um, I, I went through. I didn't see. <laughs> I, 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 went, I, I read ahead, but I didn't, I didn't get it. Okay. okay. Um, so that you, you understand what the results of the pay disparities are, we are um, experiencing difficulty in recruiting and retaining highly qualified staff at both hospitals, not just at Alameda Hospital. And, um, and our, 
our value is to assure that our patients and their families come <coughs> first in determining how we provide care and our, our current higher levels of registry and traveler utilization, you know, we believe, you know, affect the consistency of high-quality patient care in, in all of our facilities. So it's, so it's our goal and our value to reduce the, the use of travelers in registry as much as we possibly can, especially for direct patient care. Um, Is that all nurses? Jobs, yes. Um, as um, employee turnover increases, and we found this especially at Alameda and San Leandro hospitals, stress increases for the remaining staff, and they end up working more overtime and doing double shifts, and then they and then they end up getting exhausted, and then they end up taking sick leave. And when when someone's on on sick leave, we're actually paying twice. So we um, we need to address this. Um, this is just just an idea of the um, the the current current salaries in in our organization. You know our our total um, salaries and wages. You know for the entire organization is um, over four hundred and two million dollars. In in order to um, to to increase um, salaries to parity, we would. That would increase our salaries to um, slightly over over four hundred and eight million million dollars. We we had been looking looking at um, at trying to reach parity within within five years, and and this is this is what that would look like. But um, but but frankly, we don't we think that five years is is too long. You know, we're um, we're experiencing. Um, difficulties in recruiting and retaining nurses and other caregivers at Alameda and San Leandro. So, so we we would like to move faster. Um, so we have a considerable pay gap, um, and and we believe that um, that we should achieve pay parity in as short a period as as possible. Um, as I said, we had anticipated, you know, trying to to reach comparable salary levels in, in five years, but, but we think that um, our executive team believes that, um, that our commitment to quality patient care requires that we move, move faster than that. Um, we have had um, discussions at our executive leadership team um, meetings, and we believe that we'll be able to fund the, the increases through, through increased productivity. And um, this action will will increase um, cohesion and collaboration in our system and bring us closer to our goals. So, um, to the to the point you made a point earlier about um, about sick leave and about about um, you know that's a that's double the cost or additional cost as well. But also, mm -hmm. um, if we don't have if people we haven't discussed this, but are are our jobs going unfilled because of our pay? Yeah. Um, yes. Just, and that's yeah. we have yes. Right. And so, I mean, when you talk about how much it would cost to come up to parity, are you taking into account the cost of um, registry and the cost of sick leave and unfilled positions? Mm -hmm. Those numbers that that we showed you do not do not take that take those mm -hmm. those factors into account. So they so the actual cost to the organization. Are substantially less than that. 
in, in looking at, um, at our registry costs um, last year um, at, at Alameda in, in San Leandro, the total um, registry and traveler costs, and it was, was $8 million. Hmm. And um, that's not all nursing, but a substantial part of that. Part of that is, is nursing. So what... Um, Just at what, Alameda it was $8 million? No, no. But both of, both of them. Now I expect we would have some registry regardless. Right. As Correct. we do it. So what percentage of, of, of our... What's our, what's our core registry uh, cost as a percentage of total compensation? Did you, uh, but the, uh, you yeah, see the comparison I'm trying yeah. to make? There's always some flex. How much flex would you have less if you filled? Exactly. The, that's hard to say. I mean, because you want to get your core staffing to the, the appropriate level, and it's hard to judge exactly how much flex you need because it's, it's really driven by uh, census and people coming in, your inability to staff. So we, we could probably do some math on that to know what it is, but it's sure. hard to say offhand what the exact number is. But, but I mean, like Sorry, a, you're, you're asking as an actual number, so you're saying yeah. like historically. Like, right, like, so you're yeah. saying historically, not not yeah. a speculative yeah. number, but yeah. We, yeah. Could, we could get that. Yeah, we, so, we don't have that number so here. So if at core we are at 50% of the market, which we believe we are, correct? Close, close to that. Yeah, and we've got, you know, X is the amount of our registry cost as a percentage of total, comp total uh, employee compensation. What is the Y at Alameda? And, you know... How does it compare? Yeah, what's, yeah. That, what's that difference? Because we, that... We, we could figure that out. That, because maybe it's not going to take... Uh, where did I go here? That that uh, four, four, thank you. Four point nine million. Maybe it would mm -hmm. only end up mm -hmm. being more like three million. million. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and and if that's the case, I think we could we would be more inclined as a board to accelerate that mm -hmm. and, and to make that a budget priority even faster because it's easier to swallow. Right, right and David. And also, registry tends to be the biggest, like one of the over our budgeted right. amount expense that we spend on that is is a, is a monthly thing that we look at and say, oh my gosh, this is what we budgeted for registry and this is what we are paying now. So it's a top I don't have the, the core numbers, but as an example in the last fiscal year, um, San Leandro spent um, 3200000 and the budget was 740 I mean, Three million, yeah, three million two hundred nine thousand, and the budget was seven hundred forty-six thousand. At Alameda, um, a little over four million was spent, and the budget was seven hundred thirty-three thousand. So, so that's a that's a, a substantial amount. Mm -hmm. um, what what we what what we recommend is that is that we um, move. That we um, discuss with the board as we as we plan for um, for labor negotiations or or discuss authority for for existing you know board negotiations. Look at trying trying to reach parity within the period of time of the contract that we're negotiating, and that is gener generally two or three years. And when you said five years, you meant five years from the time of acquisition, right? Not five years. From yes, yes, yes. Oh, and we're already into year three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's about time. Yeah. <laughs> if it's going to take two to three years in a contract, it's going to add up to five years by the time we get there. Right. Well, we want it earlier than that. 
However, at the, at the time of the um, at the time of the the acquisitions, we were experiencing um, major major financial um, discomfort, and we're not in a in a position, you know, to move um, fast in that direction. So would well, you million. So yes. would you say that we're currently on that five-year track based on our current compensation levels in the current contracts? You know, the, the, the financial issues last year notwithstanding, or would you say we're at a slower pace right now? But we're we're at a at a we're currently at a at a slower pace, and I would recommend that we that you seriously consider authorizing us to move. Move at a at a higher rate, um, you know, contract by contract. Yeah, and, and that's the that's the last slide. You know, we'd be um, happy to answer questions or provide other information if you if you're I, interested. I, I am curious what beyond registry is of greatest concern. Um, back to my other question about parity and and, and, and equity, if you will. Um, about the, the the most underpaid, or or, or if, if if that analysis has been done, I know, I understand registry, I understand nursing. That's that's the biggest mm -hmm. chunk, right? Mm -hmm. But but what are the other big big ones? Um, lab lab jobs yeah. at um, especially at Alameda. Okay. That's it. That's a, a difficult area. Some. Um, some imaging um, modalities, you know, at both at both hospitals. Um, social, work, social work and case managers at at both hospitals, and they're and they're critical to our strategy of moving moving toward a population, population health yeah. management. What about long term care? Is that included in this? It, it it isn't it is included in it and there and there are um, there are existing disparities in in long term care you know when you if you if you compare you know Fairmont Fairmont Hospital and the and the and the SNF to to our skilled nursing facilities in Alameda so that's so that's another area that we need to address. And in the strategy that you have for this parity and how to offset the costs or how to make that, will the kind of purchase contracting services again now some of the other realms, you know, not the um, in IT and other things, would, would those be impacted by, uh, you know, um, to make sure that we are right there because some of our contracting services, we spend a fair amount of money there, right? Um, so, to sure. offset the costs, like budgetary, to make this you know a viable thing and at an expedited pace, as you say, we you know as you recommend, some of the other salaries that go in, not the represented, but the you know the purchase contract salaries that we have, will that be in some ways like what's your strategy for offsetting some of these costs, looking to change some of the other contracts into employees and other other, other scenarios mm -hmm. that might help in the cost um, containment? Well, we are trying to move as quickly as we can to replace, you know, those parts of the organization that, that, are, 
that they have a lot a lot of contract staffing you know with with employees um, we've especially been been doing that over the last 18 months in in IT um, two years ago we we had we had a large um, staff of contractors and and at this point we have we have many more employees so would, at lower cost yeah. I would just add that uh, increasing the rates is not going to solve every problem it's not a solvable but but it is going to solve the fact that we don't have enough staff there so we have people working overtime so overtime expense should go down mm. registry <coughs> should go down um, there are potential and sick time and leaves as was mentioned earlier should reduce now it's not going to happen overnight but without the ability to raise salaries it's good there aren't many other ways for us to solve those problems you know the particularly in Alameda where the, the pay disparity is so large to the market the ability to recruit and retain people there is, is incredibly challenging and if we can fix some of that and increase the core staffing based upon being able to recruit people we should see those other costs shift uh, dramatically yeah, I, I'm sort of understanding your, uh, your your question from a couple of different uh, aspects. So I don't believe, though I, I can't say with full certainty, uh, but I don't believe that a lot of our uh, existing um, uh, contracts and contract sort of you know, workforce, if you will, uh, are predicated on um, it being an alternative route to employment because of salary disparities or mm -hmm. inability. That, that's, I don't believe that's the case. It, it's, you know... Um, difficulty in finding that level of talent, right. it being the most uh, efficient way to do a short-term type of engagement or bring in that level of expertise, a couple of other reasons like that, not necessarily that it, it's a, yeah, that it's it's a uh, sort of a um, alternative route to employment uh, because of salary uh, um, uh, challenges. So, so I don't think there'll be an impact, that this will uh, necessarily have an impact on it that way. I think there are, as, as, as Jeanette mentioned earlier, um, there are other ways in which uh, we believe that um, the uh, the incremental or additional costs that we would incur from moving in a more expedited fashion to achieve parity uh, could be achieved from other forms of cost savings that we've talked about on the sort of the um, uh, uh, payroll perspective, you know, registry, overtime, those sorts of things that are paid at uh, uh, premium rates uh, that we'd hope to avoid, obviously, then that improving staffing and reducing overtime and sick leave and all those other sorts of things. But there may be also things on the um, uh, the productivity side that uh, Jeanette referenced as well that uh, uh, would hopefully lead to better ability to you know, uh, capture additional revenue that would also be able to be a source of, of, of offset to any in incremental cost would occur. Uh, Can you this. elaborate on that a little bit? I mean, are you, are you suggesting that... Um, I don't think you are, so never mind. I want to ask. Uh, elaborate a little more on the productivity side of, of how 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 you see that. Closing. Are you suggesting those employees who are currently underpaid will become more productive as we pay them more? No. So when you look at productivity, it's not necessarily on an employee by employee basis. You're looking at relative volume of work done based off of the number of FTEs you have, and so uh, that includes things like looking at unproductive time that people have for leave and things like that. So if you have more people right. being using more productive time, then you get more productivity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not you know just because I'm paid less, I sit around and take care of fewer fewer things. Uh, it's it's not that sort of individual by individual basis. Though it often sounds that way. So. Although I do think that, um, and, and I know this is an educational meeting, so I don't think we take action, right? Um, uh, right, but right. Um, you know, I, I think 
I mean, I think this is great. You're not going to take action, are you? We're not going to take action. Okay. Yeah. Just check. I'm not going to make a motion. Thank you. I'm going to talk about potential future motions that okay. could be made, okay. but I'm not going to actually take a motion. Thank you, sir. So um, uh, it would be great if somehow this presentation and this board's reaction to it could be uh, articulated to those who are um, in need of parity that this is a priority for us and um, not to do labor negotiating in public, but... Um, good, good, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that letting our employees know that we want to fix this sooner rather than later will make it a more attractive work environment. And I think everyone would feel better about it. And I just think it would, uh, it would give us a more uh, uh, collaborative table at which to negotiate. Uh, so thank you for that comment. I think we would we would uh, concur with it. I think mm -hmm. just the, uh, the 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 very fact that uh, we're having this discussion today, which is spurred by uh, uh, a shared uh, uh, sentiment on the part of this board and this leadership, uh, that this is a priority for us. And one of the things um, I'm not sure if Jeanette did say, but um, oh yeah, she did reference that there were dire financial uh, circumstances in the organization, and and we we are you know we're happy that thanks to a lot of hard work and uh, success from uh, a lot of folks throughout the organization that we actually have the what we consider the benefit of having a different uh, lens in which to have this discussion than what we would have had two years ago and uh, and I think there there will be areas where we uh, can partner and with your support uh, actually um, uh, demonstrate through our actions that that is a commitment of this board and this organization that would hopefully uh, um, reflect that sentiment. Anyone else have other questions, thoughts? I'd like to drag the meeting out for another 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. No? All right, well, on that, I think, yeah, we will adjourn to closed session. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, do I ask for any more public comment at the end? Do we have more public comment? Um, no, not Okay, great. And we will reconvene after closed session. Thank you, everybody. The board met in closed session, did not take any action. And oh, are we adjourned? Oh, sorry. Should I step in and say it? <laughs> oh, we're adjourned.